Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. We have Sarah Landry, who's an ex-member of Nithyananda's Hindu cult, who's a self-styled Swami kind of YouTube star, spiritual teacher, who is currently facing charges of rape and child abuse and has left the country to South America to evade those charges. So we're going to be speaking today about her experiences within the cult, how to de detect red flags and spiritual organizations, and how to heal afterwards and more. Um, this case was actually especially interesting to me because I've been following both Nithyananda and Sarah for a while. And when I saw this guy, there was like some kind of intuitive sensors that went off in the beginning. And I also saw, uh, was watching Sarah, you know, kind of go through these experiences and eventually being guided to speak out uh, about her experiences there. And what I really found uh, really admirable in the way that she did it is she did it with a lot of integrity and self-responsibility. So she didn't personally attack him or like, you know, start throwing like swords at him, but really just stated her experience and was very clear and objective about what happened to her um, while also making amends with the people she may have harmed under the programming. And I think these days we have a lot of these kind of gurus being exposed and you can get a lot of kind of like emotional like uh, kind of projections involved in it. And I really respected that she was just being, okay, this is what happened. This is how to detect cult programming. She really took a, took a um, lot of bravery to start speaking out against this organization because they've definitely started uh, kind of uh, doing exactly what I just listed to, towards her. So it does take a lot of bravery to start speaking out against these organizations. So the case about Nithyananda especially I found to be really extraordinary and not only does he have rape charges against him and several allegations of sexual abuse, but he's also been getting children to abuse each other within an ashram that they were put into by their parents who obviously, you know, wanted their child to go study yoga and yogic techniques. And he also has claims of using black magic and trying to, you know, get these children to basically develop cities, which are extrasensory spiritual abilities within his ashram in order to gain him more power. And it's just, it's some really next level stuff that I haven't really heard about the, um, as far as this kind of, kind of guru uh, corruption that we have going on. And Sarah has really spoken out about this on her YouTube channel. She's interviewed other members of the organization and has been since been documenting this case and really speaking out against cult abuse uh, on her channel, which we'll link on the podcast page. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for doing the work you're doing. And uh, and coming out and speaking about this. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I really feel like it's the least I can do. And especially because, as you mentioned in your introduction to this podcast, so many people have been following um, Nityananda and also my journey, which became interlaced with his, that you know, once I realized it's a cult and how much mind control was involved and how much abuse towards all the members as far as kind of taking away their spiritual self-sovereignty goes, um, but more specifically the kids who were beaten or the people who were sexually targeted by him. I, I really felt like it was my my civic duty to speak out. I, I had stood for him publicly the whole time I was brainwashed by him. So it would be kind of a, I, I think it would be a really pathetic move to just kind of skulk away and start my life again without saying anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I did wait a while because as you mentioned, they, they fight dirty, people in cults. And I, I think that what a lot of people don't realize is that I knew the moment I posted something against him on Facebook, which I mean, for all intents and purposes, it wasn't against him. 
Um, my first Facebook post about this was just describing what two of the kids had told me, which was that they were forced to beat each other. Um, they were sleep deprived. They weren't allowed to eat until they manifested these so-called third eye powers. And they were crying. And this happened in Toronto, Canada. We were here trying to get him diplomatic um, asylum in Canada. And these kids were crying and saying they didn't want to go back to India. And that had such a huge impact on me because while we were in India, the kids would regularly get paraded on stage dressed up in beautiful jewelry and fancy clothes in front of the cameras saying, this is the best school on the planet. We love it here. This is, we're becoming superhumans. This is the best lifestyle. Um, and yet for the very first time, when the kids had the chance to open up to, to me one-on-one, -on -one, they said the exact opposite of that. So that was the first time the delusion I had about this school, which is that it's a place of spiritual bliss and oneness and nonviolence, um, that became totally shattered. And I think the a lot of people who are still brainwashed in that organization, they will reference what the kids say when they're clearly being coached and sitting on stage or when a cult member is holding the camera. And they'll say, well, the kids say they're happy. I don't really care what the kids say on camera while they have cult members standing next to them feeding them lines. I care what they say privately one-on-one -on -one when they finally feel that they can speak for themselves instead of follow a script. Yeah. And, you know, at first when I came out, people, not people in the general public, general public has been incredibly supportive throughout all of this. Um, but people still brainwashed in that cult immediately retaliated and accused me of lying about it and saying, you know, she's mad at the guru. Maybe he didn't give her enough prominence or he didn't give her what she wanted. So now she's making up a story about the kids to try to attack him. Um, in reality, he had given me the highest position as far as publicity goes in that mission. I was the one on stage every day. Um, he gave me the instruction to wear the jewels of an ancient queen. Like, as far as material desires go, or as far as closeness to him is concerned, nobody could have had more than what I had had. And so it's really stupid that the way the cult retaliates is by trying to um, do a character assassination. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, they, they can't answer to the child abuse, so instead they try to discredit the person who's blowing the whistle about it. Yeah, and that's a logical fallacy to personally attack someone rather than address what they're saying. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, but in the months that followed, um, there was a lot of kind of back and forth between the cult and, and me kind of standing my ground and saying that there's no way I would make up, if I was just mad at him for not giving me a prominent place, uh, I, would have, I would have attacked him uh, as an individual. And spoken things like, well, he promotes the yogic lifestyle, so why is he obese? Um, he promotes compassion to people, so why does he um, why does he fat shame larger members of his organization? Why does he have a double standard? Why does he sleep all day, but he sleep deprives everybody else? Mm -hmm. And those things are also true. You know, he is a bully, um, and he is a tyrant. But first and foremost, importance to me was not attacking him or knocking him down a peg. It was getting help for the kids who desperately needed to be 
brought out of that terrible, uh, abusive institution. Mm. And I really feel like at least that is now completely cleared up. Um, I'm not sure how much you're following the case, but there's a, a South Indian man named Janardana Sharma, um, who used to be Nityananda's personal secretary. And this man had brought four of his children, three daughters and a son, to the Gurukul. And his two eldest daughters became kind of the public speakers for the school, especially in the Tamil language. And, you know, the younger two kids mainly spent their time in the Gurukul. The older two daughters would travel around demonstrating powers, just like the two kids I was with in Toronto. And about a month ago, Janardan got a message from his second daughter uh, asking him to please go to the Gurukul in Gujarat, where the kids were then being held, and find a way to get them out. And that was the first time he was kind of tipped off that something might be going wrong, um, because at that point in time, he wasn't watching my videos or reading what I posted. He had unfriended me on Facebook, just like all of them had been instructed to do. And he assumed I was uh, what they call an anti-Hindu element because, mm. you know, they, they, can't, they can't admit that I'm just against their cult. They have to think that I'm against the entirety of Hinduism, which yeah. simply isn't true. I'm pro-Hindu. Yeah, those, the, they, you're the plant for the Vatican and you're yeah. working for the Catholic Church. Yeah. <laughs> For the Catholic Church, yeah, as a tarot card reader. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but so he had kids within the organization, and he recently took them out, and he was pretty high up. Is that that's is that what you're saying? Well, or there was a bigger drama than that. He and his wife went to Gujarat to get their kids, and that's when they found out their oldest daughter, who they had thought was traveling for the past year was actually with the fraud who calls himself Nityananda. Mm -hmm. um, the last known location for her was Ecuador, which is where he was hiding out earlier this year. And when he and his wife got there to get the kids out, they were barred. They weren't allowed entry. And this is a man who was as high up in that cult as anybody can get. Like personal secretary to the guru mm -hmm. is extremely high. He was higher in the organization than I was. Um, the, the gate to the compound was locked. They were, they were yelled at. They were told that they're not allowed to see their kids unless the guru gives approval for that. Um, they were given the runaround for weeks and, and they went back every day just trying to see their kids mm. and put it in perspective the the youngest son, I think was 13. Um, the second, second daughter, she was 17 at the time. The third daughter was 14 or 15. Um, so finally they had to get a police warrant and go back with officers. And even then the officials wouldn't let them into the school compound to see the kids. So that escalated things. Mm. Um, they got a bigger warrant. And finally, I feel really vindicated in what I said about the child abuse, because two of the teachers have been arrested and put into prison for wow. child abuse and kidnapping. Because as soon as they found out Janavdan and his wife were going to get their kids, they moved them to an off-campus apartment, basically hiding them so the parents couldn't get them. Wow. And the daughter who first sent the parents an email asking for help has left the country. And they got a, a habeas corpus filed in the Gujarat courts, which means that the girls have to appear there um, just to prove that they're alive and that they're well and they're able-bodied. Um, but the cult has moved them 
first apparently to Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, recently on the 10th, they filed, um, they sent a petition from Virginia. So they've somehow gotten into the USA um, saying that they're, they're legal adults. Um, the, the oldest daughter turned 18 during the time when they were being shuffled around and kidnapped. And even worse, these kids are being used um, for the propaganda against their own parents. So these kids are saying that their parents uh, were horrible people. They've accused the mother of having an affair on the father. They've accused their parents of selling them into child prostitution. Mm. Um, accused their father of embezzling $2 million out of the cult. Um, the same kind of stupid lies they were saying against me when I first came out with the story, they're now saying against these parents for trying to get their kids back. Yeah. And the reason I feel, you know, and when did this when did this part happen? I, I did I did hear that people were arrested recently, but not um, Nithinanda because he's not there. No. So this was very recent, right? This was in the last few weeks. Okay. Wow. So yeah. The ladies are still in prison now. Um, it was about a month ago that Jonathan first tried to get his kids back, and his youngest daughter said on a news interview without knowing anything of what I've said publicly she said that there was a day in 2017 when all the kids were forced to beat each other yeah and that they were sleep deprived they were given the task of creating 10,000 fake accounts on social media I got a- added by some of those accounts because it was like <laughs> the Ananda fan accounts basically yeah. a couple of them yeah yeah, yeah. Some, of them, some of them would be fan accounts um some of them are like um, like catfishing accounts. They'll take other people's pictures. They'll, they'll do image searches for smiling girls or happy guys. And then they will create fake names, fake identities, fake accounts. Yeah. It's like a catfisher would do. And they'll start adding each other as friends to make it look like these are genuine accounts of real people on Facebook. And then anybody who says anything critical against their fraud leader um, they will start, for example, I had my Facebook page um, deactivated for a couple of days because their fake accounts um, submitted kind of a thing saying that it was a fake name. So I had to send a copy of my of my photo ID to prove that Sarah Landry is my real name. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll do that kind of attack against the whistleblowers. So he was training kids to kind of hopefully develop special powers and also almost running some sort of like social media ring to try and kind of pump up his own name as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other thing that these kids would do, one of my good friends, Joanna, has made a video showing that there was a 10-year-old boy who was actually Jenardan's son. Um, at the time, he was still in the cult. He was sending her messages on Facebook saying, why don't you send $1,000 to do this puja? It's going to bless you. You'll be able to earn all the money that you need. Um, and she kind of replied to that by saying, I've already paid you know, over, over a hundred thousand dollars for programs every year. I haven't earned any of that back. Why would this magical puja suddenly solve all my problems when the guru was the one who caused all my problems? Mm. And the kid is basically begging and arguing with her. No, no, no. You have to do this puja. I promise. I guarantee it. I'll stand by it. So they're being taught, um, high pressure marketing and sales skills. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely child labor. It's definitely a racket. Like this man who calls himself Nityananda, he's already been charged with racketeering in a California court uh, way back more than 10 years ago. Um, 
It's just that his top supporters, who I feel they're either getting some kind of a kickback from the organization or they are just so completely brainwashed that they can't see the reality for what it is anymore. They continue to stand by and support him no matter what crimes he's committing. And that's why this kind of abuse is allowed to continue. Um, and I also think that there's a big problem with people leaving and then going quiet. Mm. There are many people, men, women, some of them children, um, who have been sexually assaulted by this fake guru. Um, not, not through physical force, but through mental manipulation. He'll tell them that in order to achieve enlightenment, they need to be sexually involved with him. Um, or he'll tell them that they are gods incarnate or goddesses incarnate or that in the past life they were his lover. And These so, are all the typical spiritual guru pickup lines, by the yeah, way. I've absolutely. been this by a shady yoga, yoga teacher myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, anybody who sees the documentaries about Bikram will see something yeah. similar. I've seen uh, young men involved with Vishwananda have gone through something similar. Um, but yeah, he, he has done this to so many individuals. Uh, one of them, named Arti Rao, actually charged him with rape way back in 2010. And that rape trial is still ongoing in the Ramanagara court. It's been a decade. Wow. And, you know, through bribery uh, is my guess. I, I don't have proof of that, but I, I believe strongly he has bribed the judge. I believe strongly he has bribed a lot of the officials involved. Um, he's been able to get that rape case delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, there were more than 43 hearings now in that trial that his lawyer has sat in as his representative, and the judge hasn't even required him to physically be there. And that's how he was able to flee India. Um, and, I mean, technically he didn't abscond because when they petitioned the court for permission for him to not be physically present, that was approved. So how the hell is a, is somebody being charged with rape allowed to have his lawyer sit there in his place? It, it wouldn't happen unless there was something shady going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And the victim, Arti Rao, she herself was attacked with more than 10 fake cases against her by Nityananda's brainwashed disciples to try to silence her. And so anybody else who has been victimized by him will remember Arti Rao was attacked with fake cases. Um, Lenin Karupan, who was helping her, was attacked with fake cases. They feel like it's easier to just go into silence, start their lives again, apologize to their family members, and reintegrate into society as if nothing happened, basically wash their hands of it. Yeah. And because of that, the few of us who do speak up, are like lightning rods for the wrath of that cult because it's, it's so few. Um, I think luckily now the example I've set is showing people they no longer have the manpower to hit whistleblowers with fake cases. Um, there have been kids who have posted on social media stupid lies about me um, that are obviously written by one of the adults, probably a lady named Ranjita, who is like... Is she's that like, the actress that was involved with him on the video as well? 
Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I like to compare her to Ghislaine Maxwell, mm-hmm. who was um, Madame. She was the one who provided him with young girls. Uh, Ranjita does exactly that same thing for Nityananda. So um, parents would used to give their kids to this ashram very young, right? Like, like extremely young. Extremely young. Some of the kids from birth would be named by this guru. Wow. Um, give them their first bite of solid food in one of the traditional Hindu ceremonies. Um, the family would join and the kid would be living basically in the parents' room until age seven. And at age seven, they would go to the guru pool. So from seven years old, they would be separated from the family. Um, the really sad thing about the little girl who cried to me that she didn't want to go back to India, um, she has a younger sister. And she told me that, like, my first question was, why, why are their parents okay with them being forced to beat each other? And she told me that she had never told her parents they were forced to beat each other. And I asked her why, and she said the kids were all told it's a crime called Guru Droha, which is like, we were told the worst sin in Hinduism is speaking against the guru. They were told it's Guru Droha if they tell their parents about that December 31st incident. And she said, besides that, her mother is low consciousness. So even if she tells her mother, there's nothing her mother can do to help. Wow. That struck me as a weird thing for a little girl who just turned 13 to say about her mother. Um, So I asked her, what do you mean your mother is low consciousness? And she said that the year before, um, the fraud, who calls himself Nityananda, had called her whole family into his courtyard. Her father, who was the head of the causing team, like the one rallying all the telemarketers. Um, Her mother, who was then the head of the welcome center team. The little sister, who was only two years old at the time. And this girl, who would have been 10 years old at that time. He called them all to the courtyard and yelled at the mother in front of the rest of the family saying, your consciousness is so low. You have no integrity to me. You have no chastity to me. Um, That's why I've separated you from your husband. That's why he leads causing and you're in the welcome center. Um, But I'm worried about your younger daughter. If she's around you all day, her consciousness is going to drop. She's, she's not getting the proper example. You're not a fit mother. So this, this kid who is like 10 thinks of herself as a superior to her own mother because the guru is praising her and putting the mom down. Mm. And at that point in time, he took the two-year-old and put the two-year-old into the 10-year-old's custody and said, you take her with you, keep her with you 24-7, don't let her out of your sight, take care of her, bring her to your guru cool classes with you. And so she became like a surrogate mother to a toddler. Wow. She hadn't even hit puberty yet. And she said it was so hard because this little girl wanted to run around and be rambunctious and was very attached to the mother. So she would cry if she couldn't be with the mom. That's a, that's a level of child abuse that I haven't mentioned in other videos because there's just so much to this story that to try to get all of it out in one video or in one post, it's not possible. And you were living at the ashram for a period as well. Is that, That's correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I was there at that time, but a lot of this was hidden from the rest of us. Mm. You know, it's not like, it's not like, um, it's not a small place that happens in say a house with a backyard. It's like 46 acres. Oh, wow. It's big. Yeah. Pool, absolutely. The Gurukul, 
um, is in a plot of land by itself behind chain link fences that the rest of us can't access. And the kids' sleeping areas were also behind like a chain link fenced off cage with, uh, with sheets draped on the inside of that cage. So we never saw the kids except for during the morning yoga and puja. Uh, we didn't speak with them one-on-one. -on -one. They were kept in their separate place. Adults were kept doing work in our separate place. And so when people um, question me, which anybody has the right to question anybody, um, but a lot of people get really judgmental in their questioning and say, well, why didn't you pick up on it sooner? Why didn't you see that the kids were being beaten? Why didn't you see they were being sleep-deprived? Didn't you see them up all night? Um, as a reality, no, we didn't, because that happened in a place where we never went, mm -hmm. where we didn't access the Gurukul school. And approximately uh, how many children does he have there still? Is it getting closed down? or It's getting closed down, luckily. Um, the, the Gujarat Center is where they were all moved when he fled the country. It looks like that's going to be closed down because the landlord canceled their lease um, and gave them eviction notice. Um, the central government of India issued a notice to the state of Karnataka to close down the Bidhi campus, which is where the main branch was kept. Um, he was going to put on a $16,000 program this December called Paramashivoham, um, and that's been canceled. So at the time when this abuse was going on, there were more than 100 kids in that school. Um, now I'd say there's less than 10, and, mm. and people who remain are there with their parents. Um, sadly, the girl who had cried to me is still there with her family. Mm. And the correlation you made to Jeffrey Epstein, I actually think he's in a way worse because he was using these, he, he almost had his own selection of children there and he was getting them to abuse each other. He was also pr preying on the younger girls as they got older as well and you know he has this and never mind this the spiritual uh, capacity was he was trying to get them to develop so did you feel that he actually had these spiritual capacities himself and he was able to really you know like black magic on people and teach them how to do these kinds of things well now i think it was the power of hypnosis mm. but at that time i fully believed that he had mystical powers um i fully believed he was an avatar of shiva um, I've always been a very gullible, maybe overly trusting person. Um, I'm not sure why, like, but I've, I've always just taken what people say at face value and assumed that because I'm honest, everybody's honest. Mm. So if somebody tells me um, that they're a divine avatar and that worshiping them, well, not anymore, but at that time, <laughs> you told me something like that, uh, I'd have no reason to doubt it. Mm. And when people get into a meditative state or a kundalini active state, those people are highly receptive towards visions and towards extraordinary experiences. Um, I don't discount that. I still believe that that is real. You know, the kundalini activation, um, visions and lucid dreams and other yeah, this stuff is also much more common in india than it is to westerners like you have a higher level of spiritual uh history there and understanding there than they do in the west so what we think is like way out there is actually kind of more common especially in hinduism well absolutely what one of my friends from 
the cult days used to say that it's really ironic politically that in North America, somebody who is a strict vegetarian who does yoga every day and has a little altar of their own gods in their home would be considered like a left-wing hippie dippy weirdo. Whereas in India, that would be the most right-wing conservative. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, a completely different social climate. Yeah. But one good thing about India is it doesn't discount people's mystical uniqueness. Yes. One unfortunate thing is that a lot of frauds, like this one who calls himself Nityananda, take advantage of that spiritually right climate to lure in unsuspecting but devotional kinds of people and make them completely subservient. Yeah. Unfortunately, like the goal of spirituality should always be to, or in my opinion anyway, I shouldn't speak like as if I talk for everyone, but for me, the goal of spirituality was always to fully establish a personal connection to existence, to divinity, you know, to be able to tap into that cosmic frequency of love and compassion and make the world a better place through that. Um, I never would have agreed if somebody had told me when I first saw a picture of this man, if somebody would have told me he is going to intervene in your personal connection to existence, establish himself as the deity figure, cut you off from all other forms of divinity, force you to worship him and siphon your energy for his nefarious purposes. Mm. I would have ran away. Yeah. Of course, we're not told that. What we're told is that he is the ultimate in form and connecting to the ultimate without a form is elusive and it's hit or miss. How do you really know what you're connecting to when the formless comes down in the form and you connect with it in that form, you're guaranteed that you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like going from this into this. Yeah. And I also, because I've had my own experiences right before I went to India to study my yoga teacher training, I had a, um, I think he, he called himself, I don't know, he was some sort of like high level uh, Aksharya, like yoga teacher, and he w- and these people who have these high level of being, they can actually create these Kundalini experiences within you and create high levels of bliss and love, and then they use it for their own purposes. And just because they have these abilities doesn't mean that they're in service to the divine. They might be in service to themselves, and doesn't mean that you know they're actually enlightened in the true meaning of the word as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, the, the other thing is like Kundalini awakens through self-effort and through spiritual yearning. And there are lots of different techniques to awaken Kundalini. Um, I've Before I met this fraud guru, for, for a few months before that, I was working as a professional tarot card reader in Vancouver. And I had more than one client come in describing something that they referred to as kundalini psychosis. And I had never heard of that before. I had to Google it and find out what it was and was kind of shocked and appalled to see that when people awaken their kundalini energy, maybe for the wrong purposes or in the wrong frame of mind or with the wrong group, they will start to experience something similar to somebody who's had like a a bad trip on a hallucinogen. Like they will start to develop almost schizophrenic tendencies. And, you know, these individuals had said that 
if they could go back in time and not have their kundalini wake up, they wouldn't do anything to awaken their kundalini. Mm -hmm. Since then, I've heard other people talk about this and explain that, yeah, when, when your kundalini energy awakens, you have this capacity to create whatever you want in life. Like it, it gives you a lot of, a lot of power to be the creator of your existence. But if you are fearful or um, have a tendency to worry about like worst case scenarios or disasters, that's what you're going to start creating for yourself. Um, when an individual is enlightened, I don't think they ever would awaken somebody else's kundalini deliberately because yeah. that's like giving a loaded gun to a toddler. Never mind, get them to open 20,000 social media accounts in your <laughs> name. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and pay you 15 grand to do it. Yeah. Right? Um, and so when, when these kinds of frauds have these mass workshops where huge groups of people pay thousands of dollars each, um, allegedly to get their kundalini awakened, Whose reality is that awakened Kundalini going to create? He was actually charging people at workshops to awaken their Kundalini. Well, there was a there was a flat rate fee of fifteen thousand dollars for this program he called Inner Awakening. This oh, one, wow. um, and that U.S. that's U.S. dollars, right? U.S. Oh, wow. This December's was going to be the most expensive yet. It was going to be sixteen thousand USD. Mm -hmm. um, thank goodness, because of many other whistleblowers also joining in with this, um, that program has been canceled. Mm. And I, I honestly feel that now is the time his mission is finished. Like whoever is already brainwashed by him and belligerently kind of locking themselves down in their little cage of perception, refusing to listen to those of us who left, maybe that hundred or so people will still be his gung-ho supporters and follow him to Haiti or wherever, whichever country he's hiding out in now. Um, sadly, it's going to be a really hellish experience for them wherever he is because he was a tyrant even when his mission was succeeding. Mm -hmm. I would hate to see how he treats the people around him now. He is he's ruthless. So um, how did you like how did you end up healing from all of this? Like what what, what was a turning point for you? Is it this experience you mentioned with the children and what were some red flags that started showing themselves before that experience? And I know you've mentioned in your videos the cognitive dissonance was so strong. And once again, through these, especially when you start brain, uh, hypnotizing and brainwashing through spiritual techniques, this is, it takes a really high level of awareness to break out of these places because it alters your consciousness. It's like someone's giving you meditations and, you know, a routine that's like putting your consciousness on drugs, basically. Yes, yes. Well, it's funny. Have you ever watched the Lord of the Rings movies? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I just saw one on... Wednesday with my mom, the second wife, I forget what it's called, but um, there's this king, this, this, he looks like a frail, ancient, elderly king with this kind of sniveling little advisor next to him, forcing him to make decisions that are serving towards the evil agenda. Mm. Um, I really feel now as if everyone who's on the fraud, Nityananda's personal team, they are like under that kind of evil influence or uh, or like the king in the movie Aladdin and Jafar is there like waving his his um, stick and just keeping them under hypnosis yeah 
I think for me, the, the kids crying and telling me they were abused, that was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like I was already upset by the blatant lies that this guru was telling. Um, I, for example, he said in one discourse that a yogi is someone who never has to recline the body to rest at night. He sits with his spine straight and stretches out his legs. But all the times I had been into Nityananda's bedroom, I would see he was lying down fully flat on his bed with a bunch of soft, fluffy pillows and comforters, and he had powerful air conditioning. Which every- is, by the way, the opposite of what they teach you in ashrams, that you have to be on a very simple bed. Of course, no. He had, like, the highest-end luxury quilts and sheets and everything. Um, and so I, that's when I first realized, like, he's got a double standard here. Everyone else has to suffer it out on metal-framed, um, like, bedbug-infested squalor in the Indian heat while he's got this air-conditioned luxury suite. And he claims on stage that the highest spiritual strength is keeping your spine straight all night long, but he lies down almost 18 hours a day. I was upset by um, his self-indulgence behind the scenes. I didn't like the way that he would bully people. I mentioned he would he would fat shame. Like one example of this, there was a girl named Chidrupa in his ashram who was she was she was quite heavily overweight. And there was a day when he was distributing prasadam, like the energized food at the end of a puja. He was distributing to everybody. When it was her turn in line, instead of giving her one piece like everyone else, he just, like, with a disgusted look on his face, gave her the entire basket and said, here, do what you do best, eat all of it, pig. And, like, yeah, how can somebody... She worshipped him like a god he was like her father figure her god figure her everything and here he's making a disgusted face at her because she's overweight and telling her to eat and calling her a pig Mm -hmm. Um, that fat shame like I used to get bullied as a kid for being overweight so that was really triggering for me to see him treat somebody else totally like a piece of shit just because of her size and this is someone who also claims he's enlightened as well so it's like it's not just a regular you know toxic person in western culture but yeah not just a regular toxic person but somebody like with with megalomania narcissism who believes he is a deity i mean historically speaking how what kind of people have demanded other people worship them like a god we've got caligula we've got hitler like um it's always the most evil intentioned people out there. So do you think um, he is using the powers of Shiva from a, like, you know, a metaphysical perspective for his own gain? Or do you feel that's no. all just a... Deception? No. Personally speaking, I do not believe that it's possible to harness the power of Shiva or of Kali or of any god or goddess for an evil agenda. Mm-hmm. I think if he's connected to anything spiritual, it's demonic. Mm -hmm. There's no way Shiva, who is the embodiment of compassion and simplicity and um, like Shiva is known in the Hindu scriptures as taking the worst of everything for himself. So the best of everything can be offered to others. He sits in a burial ground. He wears ashes as his clothes. 
He doesn't wear jewels. He adorns himself in the humble Rudraksha. He doesn't drape himself in gold. Which is um, the opposite of Nithyananda. <laughs> Nithyananda is taking the best of everything for himself and giving the dirt to his disciples and working them like slaves. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be like, it, it's an oxymoron. You, you can't um, live like a king off the sweat and labor of slaves and draw on the power of someone who empowers people to rise beyond corruption to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that he has pulled the, the cloth over the eyes of his followers and convinced them that he is connected with Shiva, that he himself is. I mean, there, there's a really cool guy named Dakota. He's got this channel, Dakota of Earth. He snuck into the Nityananda ashram. And oh, I saw that video, but I haven't watched yeah. it. Yeah. You should watch it. It's really good. It's it's powerful. He he got, he kind of sums it all up into um, a really clear, concise. You can't argue with it. Logic mm-hmm. that if Lord Shiva was going to come down into human form on planet Earth, the last thing that he would do as the Lord of Compassion is charge fifteen thousand dollars U.S. to make for people to touch his feet. Like he would make himself freely available. Yeah. Um, in that video at one point he says um you know i've heard people say that this nithi is lord shiva and the guy at the front gate says it's a fact it's a fact and so his disciples believe 100 percent he's shiva and like even for me i mentioned those those red flags i was seeing like his hypocrisy his self-indulgence his kind of petulant childlike pouting mood swingy personality where you know if we couldn't make one of his shitty discourses go viral he would blame us instead of the quality of his discourses oh, so that's the stuff he would care about when kind yeah. of okay yeah yeah, he, he wanted to dominate the world of spirituality. He used to claim on stage that he is the most watched spiritual teacher on YouTube. Part of the reason he had such a vendetta against Teal Swan, who herself is quite a dangerous... Oh, I remember that because you made a video speaking about against her, which was great, but then I was like, but then she's in this other cult. Well, exactly. The, the yeah. reason he instructed that was that she used the words completion process, which he stole from landmark, but he wanted people to think were his Uh, this chain of, of spiritual theft was going on here. Yeah. Um, Landmark got it from Scientology and who knows where L. Ron Hubbard got it from. But so when you spoke out against her, did he actually ask you to, or did you kind of, did he brainwash you? Cause that you, it was true. I mean, I also think that there's something occupying Teal Swan, these dark forces and agenda, but like, I remember you making that video and, 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 yeah. and, you, and you were dressed in the kind of uh, Hindu garb and what, what happened with that? I wore it every day at that point in time. That's when I was initiated into what I believed was sannyas, but was really like his cult form mm. of sannyas. No, he, at that point in time, he called me to his room, his courtyard, uh, and there were a few other people there. And he, he questioned me and said, um, Swarupa Priya, which was the name he gave me, did you know that there's a woman named Teal Swan seeking my completion process? And I said, no, Swamiji, like that's what, I, that's what we all call them. No, Swamiji, I didn't know that. And he said, well, look at it, look at it. And he, he held up his iPad to show uh, her book release announcement that she's going to release this book. I don't know who tipped him off about that or if he just 
followed her or something. Um, but he told me, look it up, find the similarities between what she's teaching and what he's teaching. And he said, make a video and attack. His exact words were attack. Uh, and he said, first use 80% logic, um, proving that she has plagiarized his material, proving that he came up with it first, proving that it, she's not giving credit to Hinduism, which is what it comes from. And he said, and 20% character assassination. He said, go after her personal life, go wow. after her credibility, go after her looks. Uh, he mm. specifically told me to go after her looks, which as a woman, I wouldn't do that to another woman. Again, mm. it's his petty mentality. Um, that's when I started researching about Teal Swan. And I mean, I'd heard of her before, back when she was still Teal Scott. Um, I started a YouTube channel in November of 2011, which I think was around the same time she started hers. And at that time, I spoke a lot about star seeds and Arcturians. I had a really cool experience with the Arcturians. And um, I spoke about crystal healing and stuff like that. So very similar to her kind of original channel themes. Um, and since we both have dark hair, we're about the same age, we're both women, we talked about the same stuff, I would get compared to her a lot. Mm. But when I tried watching one of her videos, I, it just felt insincere. Like, um, it seemed kind of robotic and emotionless. And I, I just didn't resonate with it. So I didn't watch it. Um, but when I started researching her, I really believed she had plagiarized the completion process from Nitti because the the completion process he taught was about reliving to relieve. And it was um, similar to an instruction Shiva gives to Devi in the Vijnana Bhairavatantra, one of the ancient Hindu scriptures. Um, it's also formulaically similar to what they teach in Landmark, as I mentioned. And inner child work as well. Similar and to inner that. child work and, and shadow work, which I think is how Teal markets it. Um, but when I started researching her, I found a blog that shows all the other plagiarism she's done. Like she, she made something that she claimed was a channeled high frequency painting, but it is the exact symbol used in the novel Necronomicon to symbolize like demonically reviving dead people into zombies. So mm. it's obvious she just Googled like, like alchemy symbol and didn't know what it was and used it, which is funny and scary at the same time so he was behind that whole campaign then he wanted you to okay that's that's an interesting I piece of research and i i came up with the speaking points but he's the one who told me to do it mm. um, and long story short i think the vendetta he had against her was that she had like three times the number of subscribers as him she had millions of views per some of her videos um so he could no longer claim he was the most watched spiritual teacher on youtube because she uh. had and so did Satguru Jagi Vasudev, and he made me attack him too. Um, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, he he told me to go after him, and it's like um, there was even a day when he told me, um, "You can say anything against any of these people, and they won't attack me. But if I say it against them, they'll attack me." So it's like I was his mouthpiece. Mm. Um, whatever he wanted to go after somebody. Um, or support somebody. There, there was another case. There's a lady named Radema um, who had been banned from the Kumbha Mela. She was a guru from North India. Uh, they banned her from Kumbha Mela because one day she wore a mini skirt in the Western style outfit. 
And he called me and said, hey, um, I can't speak in support of her because then they will drag me down with her. But you can. So make an issue out of this. Make it Vedic feminism. Any woman has the right to wear whatever she wants. Defend her. Um, and I still think that was a good thing. Like, there, there's so many gray areas here. There are good things that he stood for. There are bad things that he stood for. Yeah. Um, the That's bad- also how the people work. They mix truth with lies. That's exactly it. Um, and in this case, the bad far outweighs the good, you know? Um, the, the few kind of feminist things that he stands for are always self-serving, for example, why does he want to defend her for, for dressing like that? Well, because he asks his female devotees to send him nude photos. Mm. So if he ever gets caught, he wants to know that there are people who will support him the way people support her. Like, you can always boil things back down to how it's going to serve him. Yeah, Whatever. he's also a very high-level sociopath. Like, yeah. he's, he's very, and this is like, I mean, very skilled because yeah. n- regular Western sociopaths are kind of good at networking yeah. and, and getting people to really love them, and they're very charming. But he's also using spiritual uh, techniques, and which is... Well, a, he's like the, how you would mention he's worse than Epstein. I agree, because Epstein would rape young girls and molest young girls and kidnap them to his freaky little island, which is something else that Nithyananda now has, his own little island. Mm-hmm. Um, but Epstein was never successful in making them worship him as a god. Whereas, yeah, yeah this, this monster not only victimizes people, but makes them worship him. Mm. So but as this he, was going on with your family, did they notice anything? Like your mother, your parents, your friends back I home in Canada? Home. My mom was also in the cult. Some of my aunts and uncles knew it was a cult all along, and I kind of distanced myself from them because I felt like I was being judged. And that's, unfortunately, that's what happens to a lot of these brainwashed people in cults is that uh, we had been literally told by the guru, if anybody questions him or questions our involvement with him, cut them out of our lives, never speak to them again. So Mm. he was critical of him. Uh, Either they kept their criticism to themselves because they didn't want to lose their connection with me or I cut them out of my life. So it it became really problematic. Um, This is why so many people currently brainwashed in his cult, their families are kind of powerless to do anything about it because they risk being, being written out of their relatives lives or if they try to intervene and help. Um, my mom had told me that back in the 70s, there was like a cult epidemic. Yes, and my parents like, were part of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so back then, like regularly on the news, you would see like families hiring people to kidnap their kids out of a cult and deprogram them. Um, that's the kind of intervention people in Nityananda's cult need. They need proper deprogramming. Um, you would ask how I finally healed from this, that the kids telling me they were beaten, that was like the last straw after all the other hypocrisy I witnessed in him to get me to leave the cult. Um, I left the physical organization, moved back to my hometown, but I still believed maybe he's Shiva and just the people around him are bad or the cult structure is bad, the organization is bad. Um, So I kept wearing the mala with his face on it for months, even after I left. And people ask sometimes, like, why didn't you come out publicly as soon as you found out the kids were beaten? Well, I still didn't know for sure whether he gave the instruction to the teachers to beat the kids or if the teachers took it upon themselves to make the kids beat each other. 
And so there were so many um, points of confusion left within me, plus the brainwashing, plus the mind control, plus um, if he had done any kind of black magic and all the years of my own so-called visionary experiences of him where I believed he was good. Um, so you kind of had to go through your own disillusionment process. Absolutely. And, and my, one of the things that was the most helpful for me was Leah Remini's series, Scientology in the Aftermath. Um, there was a marathon of that on when I left. So I watched it like back to back episodes. And as I saw her interviewing people describing the atrocities they faced in Scientology, that was when I realized that a lot of the shit in our lifestyle there was not Hinduism. It was cult. Like, there's no way traditional Hinduism is this closely um, identical to Scientology. Like, it's obvious he's making it like Scientology on purpose. That's when I realized it was a cult. Um, I downloaded a great book called The Mind Control Manual and read that cover to cover. It's an amazing, um, it's an amazing collection of what traits identify a narcissist, what makes a psychopath. I could see that Nityananda fit every single category of both. Mm -hmm. um, it explained how brainwashing works, how mind control happens, uh, what kind of lifestyle is needed to make people compliant. Um, and all of it matched everything that we did in his cult. So once I knew what had been done to my mind, I knew how to take my mind back again. I knew that it wasn't a visionary experience I had of him. It was a hypnotically induced belief that I had about him. Mm. And so once I let go of my clinging desperately to my so-called spiritual experiences, I was able to reclaim my own spiritual self-sovereignty and get back to things that I had loved before, like crystal, crystal energy. And, you know, whether that is something real and literal in gemstones or whether it's something placebo at this point, I don't even care. I just like it. So I'll make myself. Some <laughs> yeah. And you have amazing jewelry. I highly recommend people thank check you. out your jewelry as well. Oh, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it, it took about a year of deprogramming, uh, reading books by psychologists, um, getting back into my previous spiritual beliefs and then going clear. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to, one of my all-time favorite writers, Graham Hancock, um, he wrote a really cool book called called um, War God. And it's about the, it's a novel, it's his only novel. Um, and it's about the historical event of the Spanish basically taking over Mexico. And it's so interesting. He describes it from the perspective that there's this this evil entity posing as the God to the people in Mexico and as one of the saints to the Spanish conquistadors. And that basically they're just riling them to fight against each other. Um, I, I bought this book just recently, so I don't want to spoil it. It's fresh in my mind. That's why I'm bringing it up. But I think that the way he describes it is so perfect. He says that um, an evil entity masquerading as a God can convince people to do evil things and make them believe that those things are good. Mm. And that is what this evil entity working through Nityananda is doing to his disciples. He is convincing them that 
putting false criminal charges against his victims is a good thing because it serves their God. Um, he convinces them that creating these fake social media accounts and attacking people like trolls is a good spiritual thing. Um, he convinces them that any instruction he gives is good because he's convinced them he's a God. Yeah. Um, but in fact, he is not. He, it's, it's very evil. It's almost, I would call it demonic. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of strength to break free from that because it's such a highly ingrained belief in the people who follow him. Um, yeah, but- and the hardest part for people is also regaining their connection to spirituality. So kudos to you for doing that because a lot of people, when they have these experiences, are like, I'm just going to get away from uh, spirituality altogether. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the funny things, when I came back again, I picked up an old book that I had bought back when I had had my... Arcturian experience way back in the early 2000s. And I, it's called ET 101. I opened it to a random page and it said something like, you'll know that you have fallen into the worst depths of human suffering uh, if you find yourself working a corporate job or following a guru. Oh, wow. And I was thinking, well, shit, I, I avoided the corporate. <laughs> like, I like, definitely fall into the trap of following a guru. Um, and I took that kind of as a little cosmic joke, like, okay, yep, I went down the wrong path. But I found my way back again. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame spirituality for the fault of this one experience. Um, just like I don't blame Hinduism, I don't consider the fraud Rajashekaran, who calls himself Nityananda, he is not Hinduism. He's not a Hindu guru. His cult is not a Hindu cult. He has usurped Hindu tradition to make himself get rich, to get lots of followers, to establish himself like a god. Um, but if we were in ancient Rome, he would be Caligula. You know, if we were in France a couple hundred years ago, he would be like Napoleon. If we were in Germany last century, he would be the Hitler. He is an evil, tyrannical, dictatorial, kind of a narcissist psychopath who wants fame, he wants to be worshipped, he wants wealth, he wants to sexually abuse people. Um, his personality type, raised in a Hindu environment, created the cult leader we call Nityananda. Um, but I still love Hinduism. It's not the fault of Hinduism that this man went awry. Mm. Like, it's not the fault of the sacred ancient... Mayan culture that we had a character like in the war god story. Yeah. And thank you for saying that because that's really the missing piece is like people don't understand that there's also the light and the divine and then correspondingly the dark forces who will, you know, it's like that um, phrase, uh, Satan almost always appears as an angel of light. Like a lot of these gurus, you know, and especially because they sometimes don't deal with the basic psychological stuff. Like that kind of seemed to balance it out for you. You learn the basic psychological stuff. And then when you combine that with spirituality, I find it's especially potent, especially for Westerners. But I've noticed in India, they kind of take a spiritual bypass in the psychological stuff. So that when they gain these higher spiritual powers, their own pathologies end up coming through, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that everyone who is on a spiritual path and doing spiritual things um, should keep one rule of thumb in mind at all times. And that is the moment somebody tells them that they have to do something in order to realize their spiritual goal, that person has an agenda against them. 
There's nothing anybody has to do to achieve anything. Uh, Whatever spiritual practices make somebody feel connected and resonate with them and make them feel empowered, it's their choice to do those things as long as they want to and not a moment longer. Um, The moment somebody says you have to go to this building every Sunday morning and kneel down and say these words, they're overstepping their right and they're infringing on your spiritual self-sovereignty. The moment somebody says, I have a connection to source and you don't, you can connect through me, that person Mm -hmm. is a liar trying to scam you. Um, Spirituality is beautiful, but there are a lot of risks of corruption when it, as soon as it becomes organized. Um, there can be beautiful prayer groups who meet together, who say their prayers together. Um, I've got nothing against people going to church on Sunday if that's what they believe in and that's what they want to do. But the moment something is forced and imposed and you're shamed if you don't do it or you're praised if you do it as the leaders tell you to do it, that's when that's when you are no longer connecting with existence in its pure form. That's when something's being diluted and you're, you, you don't even realize it's happening as it's happening, but you are being controlled. Yeah. Thank you so much for outlining that. Um, I think that's really useful for people as well, because we do live in this time where, I mean, I've even had this with some of my teachers. I think this age of the guru is changing quite a bit. And so our, understanding of spirituality will have to change too and we're just leading into the end of the first hour so thank you so much sarah and so uh besides your youtube is there anywhere else you don't have a website yet except so your etsy do you i've got an etsy shop and i I really want to plug that because that's like my that's my day job um Mm. all the whistleblowing and videos i do is (laughs) my free gift to the world yeah Um, i I recently started um a patreon account where i'm going to do some special podcasts and some content that I don't release always on YouTube. Um, It's just my name, Sarah Stephanie Landry. And my Etsy shop is called The Art of Gems. And all the jewelry I'm wearing is from my shop. This colorful. Yeah, and I'm very picky because I make my own malas and your jewelry is actually really nice. So I totally support that as well. And we'll link to it in the podcast page. Oh, awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next hour. Looking forward to it. (laughs) 